I think my attention and my focus was all on external things, external factors, instead of just basically controlling what I control. And from the beginning, like early on, I put a lot of my identity in baseball and how people liked me. And it put so much pressure and stress on me that I felt like I was becoming somebody that I wasn't. Tyler Malone had a roller coaster season in 2017. You couldn't tell by the way he played. He put up respectable numbers and got a decent amount of playing time on the number one ranked team in the country. Off the field, though, his mental state was a different story. I put all these false realities in my head, you know, whether it was that I wasn't good at baseball anymore, that I didn't want to play, or I didn't feel like I fit in. None of that was actually the case, but I actually believed it. And that just absolutely, like, took me to a place that I don't want to go down again. Tyler Malone is not the only one who experienced something like this. Similar to the stories we heard in episode 2, it's surprisingly common for Division I athletes to doubt themselves into failure, even if they had the physical tools to succeed. This problem is pervasive for many individuals, but the Oregon State baseball program uniquely equipped its players to overcome, especially with psychological methods. You're listening to Dynasty in the Woods. My name's Josh Warden. This is episode 5, The Mental Game. This podcast series supports local and international charities, including Children's Garden, which is located in the Philippines. Children's Garden is a small operation, just a single home that provides housing for about a dozen teenagers who are living on the street. By providing a home, education, tutoring, and other resources, Children's Garden is changing lives. Please learn more at childrensgarden.ph. That's childrensgarden.ph. There's this element of mindset training where like, especially baseball, man, each pitch lasts like what, two or three seconds. And then there's a ton of time in, in between each pitch. And there's a ton of time out in the outfield. You only get four at bats a game. Like there's that inner game that well, there's a lot of people lose that inner game. There's another level you can go to. This state of calm is so powerful. Really what's remarkable about what they do is the way they can separate balls from strikes. I mean, they just do not chase pitches out of the strike zone. I feel like I've prepared mentally way better than all these other guys. And I know the effect it had on my life. You know, I went from really a very, very difficult place to feeling completely free. You could write a book on this. Baseball is the game of life, right? It's almost identical to life in the sense that there's so much failure. This is like life stuff. This isn't just baseball stuff. This is everything. When you picture a competitor, what do you think of? I don't know about you, but I think Mike Singletary. A legendary middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears in the 1980s, Mike Singletary was fierce. Throttling quarterbacks, chasing tailbacks, cracking helmets. He was so intense, he would listen to classical music before games to calm down. It's that sort of player that Pat Casey loves. Ferocious players, guys with tenacity. But tenacity left to its own devices can be chaotic. Without a way to stay level-headed, a method to weather the storm, the ups and downs of every play, the intensity can go to waste, or even worse, backfire. Mike Singletary's habit of listening to classical music was a form of controlling his fire. It's one thing to have fervor, it's another thing to handle that fervor with care. Pat Casey understands that dynamic. The fine line, man. We call it controlled fury. That's a, just a really oxymoron, right? Like jumbo shrimp. You know what I mean? How does that work? You know, how do I stay controlled, but I'm in, a, I'm in an absolute 
state of competition, of rivalry, of fury. How do I do that and stay relaxed? Well, that's the key. That's why very few guys can do it. Controlled fury is the phrase Pat Casey uses. We've seen how Pat himself showed fury in a controlled way. We've seen how Pat elicited that same quality in his players. But behind the scenes, with less publicity than Pat Casey, but still playing a palpable role, Oregon State players were reshaping their habits, their intentions, and their whole mindset through techniques of a more cerebral nature. If you know brain science, it tells us that 80% of human thoughts are negative and 95% of thoughts are reoccurring. So especially baseball, that is detrimental to your performance if you're reliving and if you're pre-living every moment. Colin Henderson is a mental conditioning coach. He's worked with Kyle Novak, Oregon State left fielder, teaching Kyle about things like the destructive nature of negative thinking. Oregon State players like Kyle learned how to overcome mental blockages to become better players. But we can't explore their solution until we understand the problem. A lot of people think themselves or they talk themselves into getting out or letting one bad play, one bad pitch turn to like a whole bad game, a bad series. Whether you think you are or you aren't, you're right. So coming back to the mental game, it's all about what you think. I saw a quote recently. It's like, the more you tell yourself something, odds are you're going to end up believing it. Most people don't know brain science teaches that we create new neural pathways based on what we predominantly focus on. You may have heard, I'm not a, a morning person. I have a sweet tooth. I always forget names. Or I can never hit this type of picture. You just, you already lost it's a belief system once you start believing it certainly it's true we have a lot of negative thoughts that always seep into our mind and it's natural for that because our mind wants to protect ourselves from getting hurt or like being surprised which is super irrational but like your brain is trying to protect you and you're always thinking negative thoughts when i first rolled in oregon state i was very unaware and i struggled really bad and that internal talk was so negative everything was negative you know 80 percent of human thought is negative that's the biggest thing. If you're always thinking negative, it just absolutely cripples you. Everybody knows that negative thinking doesn't help them, but they don't know what to do about it. So I think the first step in the mental game was truly understanding that I wasn't alone, that every single person was dealing with the things that I was dealing with, and people weren't fearless. Everybody feels fear. There's two mental skills coaches I'd like to introduce you to, Alan Jager and Greg Warburton. I would say that these guys wrote the book on mental training, and they both did. Greg Warburton's book is called Warburton's Winning System, Tapping and Other Transformational Mental Training Tools for Athletes. Alan Jager's book is called Getting Focused, Staying Focused, a Mental Training Book for Baseball Hitters or Pitchers. Both Warburton and Jager worked hands-on with Oregon State players, and both brought a wealth of experience. Let's start with Greg Warburton. He's been there back in the first and second World Series title back in 06, 07. You know, this was kind of at the start of those things, you know, of the mental thinking. This is Dan Spencer, the pitching coach in 2006, who was Greg Warburton's first contact in the baseball program. Those two would cross paths at Timberhill Athletic Club in Corvallis, and Warburton kept floating the idea of coming to speak with the baseball team. Eventually, Coach Spencer got on board, and so did Pat Casey. I go, hey, we're going to open it up, case for anybody that wants to do it. We're going to start with the pitchers and catchers because I was the contact with Greg. And pretty soon you had the bulk of our pitching staff and our catchers involved in those meetings. 
Those meetings led by Greg Warburton turned into 15 years Warburton has now spent working with Oregon State baseball players. As he looks back over the rosters, Greg can point out 50 different players he's worked with personally, including guys from the 2018 team like Michael Gretler and Stephen Kwan. That was kind of my first experience of kind of the mental game and just really understanding the importance that it can have. So he was kind of the first one to, I guess, open my mind to it. I started with Greg and that was kind of the start of my mental training. That was kind of my first introduction into kind of visualizing and getting situations down in my head before they happened in real life. Most OSU players didn't get any mental skills training prior to OSU. That's true for most athletes across the board, and it's been that way for decades. Back when Greg Warburton was growing up, sports psychology as a whole was an afterthought. 50 years ago, there wasn't mental training. It was be tough and shut up. Greg Warburton went on to become a mental health counselor and has almost four decades of experience in that field, although Warburton's practice was not sports-related. So when he started working with Oregon State baseball players in 2006, he would see all at once how much the sports psychology field had developed over the prior 40 years, or in his words, how surprisingly little it had developed. Well, it's been very frustrating because the only point of agreement over the generations is that the mental aspect matters. The breakdown has been nobody did much about it. Even though people said they realized the mental aspect was important, they didn't act like they knew it. The only thing that became more common was advice like be confident or be fearless to Greg and to many players. That just wasn't enough. I think something that was misportrayed a lot of my life was this idea of being fearless, right? You hear people talking about that all the time, like be fearless in, in everything you're doing. And to me, that didn't work. Kyle Novak had always received what Greg Warburton calls the advice-only approach. In other words, coaches telling him to be mentally strong, but never showing him how to do so. And by the way, Warburton is not critical of OSU coaches in this area. This was simply the status quo pretty much everywhere. We have practices for backhands. We have practices for swings. We have practices for footwork. We have practices for all kinds of physical things that we deal with in a game. But what we're missing out on, I think, around the world and around the country is really focusing on a daily practice of the mind. Tyler Graham played a huge role in Oregon State's mental approach to the game. We'll look more directly at Tyler's involvement in just a moment, but the first thing to establish is Tyler's thesis here. If we recognize the importance of the mental game, we should model our approach in due fashion. And I think every coach and every player agrees that the mind is the most important thing to success. But then if that's the case, then we need to find a way to not only develop a daily practice for that, but to teach these kids, like teach them what the mental game is and then develop a daily practice, just like we would do with the physical side. I think in baseball, we're seeing that every major league team has a mental skills coach. And we're finally kind of catching up to you spend $400 on that bat. But that expensive bat is like a kind of guarantee getting hit. So what are you doing to get your, your mindset cleaned up? So be mentally tough is on target advice. Just had been a grand canyon between that and methods. That's the key, actual methods to train the mind like we train the body. Something more than just being told to try harder. Greg Warburton knows that humans are remarkably inefficient at thinking our way out of problems, especially when it's a recurring issue. That's where the almighty slump comes in. It's an inevitable part of baseball, the slump, except Greg Warburton has a thing or two to say about slumps. The suggestion, just short of a promise, is 
you can compete in a relaxed body, calm mind state from start to finish. And that's where slumping performances become a myth. Poor performance moment, yes. But slumping performances don't have to happen if you have a skill set. So you would be pretty confident in saying slumps can be a myth. That's my soapbox. Think of all the slumps baseball players have ever had. According to Warburton, they could have all been avoided. That's radical. Yeah. And true. Again, there's two mental skills coaches you'll get to know today, Greg Warburton and Alan Jager. We had a few sessions with Alan, which was awesome. That guy, I think he's a rock star. He knows what he's doing. And I think every session we had with him, the next game we won kind of thing. He just put us into the right mindset. Pat Casey invited Alan Jager to come up from Los Angeles to speak with the team in the middle of the 2017 season. That might be surprising since OSU was ranked number one in the nation in 2017, so it's not like Pat Casey was desperately trying to fix what was broken. In reality, Pat knew that even being number one in the nation didn't mean Oregon State was flawless. So he brought Alan Jager in, and Alan has stayed involved ever since. As for the substance of what Alan Jager teaches, it starts with his favorite phrase, the mental process. I think the main thing is, is simplifying their mental approach on the field. We call it the process. We want every player to have their process. Two or three focal points that are key for them to execute their plan. And by establishing that process, you then realize that, oh, if I can get my mind to default to that, that everything else then becomes what I call a variable or distraction or drama. Jager emphasizes that once all the unimportant stuff is blocked out, you can focus on what's left in front of you, the stuff you can actually control. That's what we all want to do as players and athletes, right? We just want to execute. You want to do that as an attorney in court. You want to do that as a surgeon, right? You, you know what you need to do to be really good, and then you want to execute it, and you don't want to deviate. You don't want to get into all the drama and all the other consequential thoughts in the future and the past. Execution has a strong correlation with simplicity. Limit the things you focus on, and you'll do those things better. I feel like I was best when I kind of just really got caught up in the moment and didn't try to do too much. And it's one of those things that I think you'll hear guys when they do get a hit, it's kind of like you black out a little bit. Third baseman Michael Gretler describes his moments of success as blackout moments, kind of like he's flying a plane manually and then switching to autopilot. The more often I kind of blacked out in a situation, kind of let my natural ability take over, that's when I was at my best. When your mind is quiet, when your thoughts are no longer in play, there's that sense of emptiness or space that allows the hard work to come out, the instincts. Once you get to a state where you're being so intuitive and still so instinctive, all bets are off, like anything's possible. Alan Jager says anything is possible, and Greg Warburton says slumps are a myth. These are massive claims. The next question is, well, how do you actually learn this stuff? I mean, it's one thing to hear it, and a way bigger step to actually follow through on this sort of thing. Well, I'm going to walk you through a handful of techniques that Oregon State baseball players used over the years and especially in 2018. And to do that, we need to hear from Tyler Graham. I started to meditate on my own through a, a guy that I used to play with, got trained in transcendental meditation and taught me a year before I started talking to the guys about it. Tyler Graham was sort of the meditation guru for Oregon State, even though Alan Jager was the primary teacher, but he's based in Los Angeles. Tyler Graham was with the players on a daily basis, so he acted as the liaison. 
and so many players told me during the season how much they leaned upon Tyler on the mental side of things. He played such a huge role in that team's success. I can't even tell you. Tyler Graham, he's been a huge, huge influence, and Alan Yeager and all those guys, it's been huge. I, I, I can't thank them enough for you know, letting me be the player I, I know I can be. This is Kevin Abel, and we'll come back to his story later on. The mentor of sorts for Kevin Abel and many other players was Tyler Graham, himself a former Oregon State baseball player, a national champion in 2006. Tyler came back to Corvallis to serve on the coaching staff in 2018. He was the director of player development, so maybe his biggest impact was in helping the players experience meditation like he had. It took away my anxiety and it, it really helped out with staying focused and keeping yourself in the present moment, which all of us naturally can't really do because of all the thoughts we get and how we can't control them. That's the whole idea about negative thoughts. They cannot really be controlled by just trying to think your way out of them. Tyler Graham found that meditation was more effective, but it took a little convincing for the guys who thought meditation was kind of weird. There's like the misconception about meditations, like the hum, you know, like all that crisscross applesauce, put your hands on your knees type of thing. It wasn't necessarily that. I think with meditation, people get kind of bogged up on like, you know, what do I need to do? This seems like really too deep for me, but he made it really simple, made it really easy to grasp. In reality, it's not just meditation that often gets misunderstood, but mental conditioning overall. There's a stigma around psychology that's not limited to sports, but definitely prevalent in sports, that to use mental conditioning means you're weak. My goal is to make mental skills training normal and to demystify. So as you've noticed in the industry, no one uses sports psychology language because it freaks people out when you say psychology. So they use mental conditioning or performance or mental skills. So it's kind of like we're debunking the stigma when you talk to a mental coach like there's something wrong. Before long, Tyler Graham was leading meditation sessions that a good chunk of the players would attend regularly, including first baseman Zach Taylor. We did it every day, whether it was practice or game day. They had a meditation practice every day. We're talking game days, too, everything. On the road, at home. We ended up actually going in the players' lounge. We turn off all the lights. Everyone basically get an uncomfortable spot on the floor, trying to lay down flat if you want to, whatever's comfortable. We would go into the players' lounge, and they would lay down on the ground for 15 minutes. And you close your eyes, and then Tyler Graham would actually kind of go through um, sort of a script. And I would just guide them through a 15-minute meditation. You start out with, uh, you know, 10 deep breaths, relaxing every piece of your body, and going through from your feet to your head, just getting everything relaxed. Remember, 80% of human thought is negative, so these meditation sessions gave players a tool to explore their own thoughts and see how much of a battle they were already fighting mentally. The first mental skill that we're talking about is self-awareness, right? You don't know what you don't know. Meditation was a way to know what's going on and have a prepared response for those negative and distracting thoughts. When you're meditating, all you can really focus on are the thoughts that are in your head because it gets to the point when I do it really well, it's like I don't even recognize that my body's really there. Like my body basically feels like air and I'm just floating there. It's like I tell people, it's like I only truly know or am aware of my head. The meditation was really a practice of keeping my mind in such a state that I was so calm where nothing else mattered thoughts are going to be there and we're not going to talk to the thoughts we're not going to react to them we're not going to push them away we're just going to simply know that they're there and redirect our attention to, to our breath or, or to our body alan's big on addressing thoughts for what they are and they're just thoughts it doesn't mean that they're negative it doesn't mean they're positive but 
what you basically allow those thoughts to do is what impacts you. So if you give certain thoughts attention, they're going to basically settle and you're going to start to believe them and act on them and that type of thing. And I think this is where a lot of people, you know, they stay away from meditation because they think that if I lay there for five minutes and I keep getting thoughts and I'm not getting good at meditation, so I'm just not going to do it. But the brain is meant to think and it's going to think thoughts. But by meditating, you begin to start to realize those thoughts. Thoughts come in your mind, just learning that thoughts are okay. I'm not going to fight them or block them out, which is kind of creating more thoughts, or more tension potentially. Alan Yeager kind of put it in context for me years ago when he said, you know, if there's a heckler in the stand, the second that you acknowledge him, you've let him win. And if you put that context into your own thoughts, your brain is going to think thoughts. That's what it's meant to do. But if a thought comes in and you acknowledge that thought or make a feeling connected to that thought, then by acknowledging it, you've given it power. The way I look at it is like you could redirect your thoughts. So if a thought comes in and it might be negative or you don't feel like it's going to be beneficial, you don't have to give that thought your attention, but you try to redirect it into something else. What meditation will do is when those thoughts come in, you start to notice it, but then you can just let it go. The biggest thing is just understanding that even though there's a thought in your head, it's not 100% truth. What determines the truth is if you give it the attention or not. A thought might come and go. Just It's okay. Just recognize it and just gently come back to your breath. That's like doing bicep curls for your focus muscle. Bottom line is the meditation is the outer practice practice for the in-game process. Meditation is the out-of-practice practice for the in-game process. It's practicing ahead of time what you're going to revert to when things get crazy. And take it from Tyler Malone, Jake Mulholland, Michael Gretler, and Kyle Novak, how they saw meditation directly improving how well they could focus during practices and games. Totally translates, right? So it's like you take a strike, you take a fastball that you should have swung at like 0-1. You know, instead of just thinking about it, oh shoot, I should have swung at that pitch, you could catch yourself and just try to get back to neutral and just try to understand that you still have two other strikes to work with and that one strike is not going to fully determine the success of the at-bat. You might be in practice and be thinking about a ton of homework that you have to do that night or some with your girlfriend, your parents, who knows. The meditation was kind of just a way to put all that aside and you are locked in for however long this practice is. It can only hurt you to be distracted. It cannot help you. So what can we do to make sure that we're 100% present to make ourselves as good as we possibly can be. So in situations like the College World Series where there's a lot going on, you get caught up in the game, there's so much going on that your brain is thinking about all that. But by practicing meditation on a consistent basis, you're able to kind of let those thoughts come and go without getting stuck on them. The more I was able to practice the meditation aspect, the more you're aware of certain things in the game and you understand that you don't have to allow certain negative thoughts that cross your mind to truly take hold. Because once they truly take hold, baseball becomes super hard. When you're not stuck on thoughts, that's when you are in the moment, you're present. The more often you can get to that point, the more success you're gonna have and the more you're gonna black out. Really all meditation is, is training your concentration and your focus. And really all baseball is, is a game of concentration and focus. And what team can stay focused and in the present moment, the longest is gonna win. Kyle Novak saw how meditation didn't just help baseball, but his day-to-day -day life. 
I kind of had a, a weird case like my whole life. I, I maybe had this cuff of, of ADHD and you know, I did some testing and stuff when I was down at OSU where they try to give me some medicine. And today I don't use any of that. Like I don't need a pill to sit down and shut up, but a lot of it is used from, you know, the meditation. So this has been method number one, meditation. But this is just the beginning. On to method number two. With Greg, it was breathing. He stressed breathing very, very much. There was so many benefits with like a deep breath. Stephen Kwan started working with Greg Warburton his freshman year. And at the time, he did not know how to mentally prepare himself. As weird as it sounds, one of Kwan's main problems was breathing. I got to the box. I felt my heart beating. My breaths were really short and like I didn't feel very in control of the situation. So I remember thinking like, oh, wow, he's completely right. But I didn't have the tools to combat that at the time. When Stephen Kwan started to hear Greg Warburton speak, it wasn't that all his problems were suddenly solved. But when Stephen experienced those problems again the next game, he started to see why they were happening. My breath stayed short. My heart stayed beating. And I didn't get the results that I wanted. So it was cool kind of how he explained what it did and then to have like a tangible feeling about the next game and being like, okay, like this is what I'm working towards. So Quan started to not only listen to Warburton, but act on his teaching. Warburton taught him about the value of a deep breath, but not just any deep breath, belly breathing. Warburton taught me the same thing he told Kwani. Put your hand on your belly, then take a deep breath. Does your hand move outward? That's a good sign, but if you breathe with your stomach sucking inward, like you're trying to look skinny for a photo, you lose the value of a deep belly breath. The research is that exhaling longer activates the parasympathetic nervous system, the calming side of our nervous system. It's scientifically shown to calm the mind, which basically is what Stephen Kwan felt. It really just sped things down. So if breathing is so effective, Greg Warburton makes full use of this by teaching an exaggerated form of breathing. So for this breath, it looks like this. Warburton inhales deeply while he raises his shoulders as high as he can. And then you're trying to touch your ears with your shoulders. Hold, 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 and then fully exhale. Greg Warburton taught this method to Jake Thompson, a 2017 All-American pitcher for OSU. He taught me to like over-exaggerate my breath so I can feel really tight and then just completely feel loose and relaxed and... I mean, it worked wonders. Similar idea one year later for another OSU pitcher. If you rewatch the 2018 College World Series, Kevin Abel does this exact thing. Between pitches, he's standing on the mound and raises his shoulders up just like Greg Warburton did, holds it for a moment, and then to quote Greg Warburton... Another guy who saw the importance of deep breathing, left fielder Jack Anderson... Being centered in your breath and taking deep breaths is something that immediately I got attached to and really worked on because once my anxiety got going, I kind of lost control of my breath. Jack Anderson learned that from Alan Jager. So here's one example of the overlap that Greg Warburton and Alan Jager have. They didn't work together, nor have they ever met each other, but the concepts they taught were so similar that any of the players who worked with one or both of them could use both resources to their advantage. Speaking of resources, on to method number three. Your brain cannot tell the difference between a real and imagined event. You become what you think about the most. 
Colin Henderson, the mental conditioning coach who's worked with Kyle Novak, knows that our brains can easily treat imagination like reality. Your brain can't tell the difference. It really can't. So what does Colin mean by this? Well, it's similar to the negative thinking we talked about earlier. Believing you cannot do something becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The next mental skills method turns that on its head, going from doubting oneself to believing in oneself. And not just self-confidence, although that's good, but rather specifically imagining success. Players like Zach Taylor and Stephen Kwan saw the immense value in visualization have a mental rep, your brain can't tell the difference between whether that was real or if it wasn't. Doing those mental reps, your brain can't distinguish whether that's you actually doing it or like you're thinking about it. So the whole point is like, if I can get thousands of reps mentally, it's like I've already been in that situation. When you get the rep in your head and you see it out and then when you perform it, it's like, oh, I've done this before. And in that split second, you're not going to differentiate like, oh, but I only thought that I was doing that instead of doing it. You can train calm. You can train clarity. You can train like, I've seen this before. Like, your brain wants to feel, like, comfortable and it wants to, like, see patterns. Well, I've experienced this before. I'm actually, I'm calm. This is where you may wonder, is there actually science to back this up? And that's what I asked Colin Henderson. He told me about a study that showed visualizing lifting weights can be nearly as productive as actually lifting weights. I looked it up myself. In 2007, Bishop's University conducted a study taking 30 student athletes and measuring muscle growth, specifically in the hip flexors. The athletes were separated randomly in three groups. One group would do hip flexor exercises for two weeks, another group would imagine doing those exercises, and a third group would do nothing. When they measured the hip flexor strength at the end of those two weeks, the group that did nothing, understandably, showed no growth. The group that actually did the exercises increased 28% in muscle strength, and the group that simply visualized doing the exercises increased muscle strength 24% without doing any weightlifting. Colin also mentioned a study from the University of Chicago testing free throw percentage. They were shooting foul shots and there were three groups just like the other study and the group that practiced shooting free throws increased their percentage by 24%. No shooting, no improvement. The group that just visualized making free throws increased their foul shots by 23%. 23% increase imagining free throws, 24% increase actually practicing free throws. There's an undeniable link between what we visualize happening and what actually occurs. When you visualize, you know, you didn't move it, your brain did the exact same thing. It sent blood to that spot of your body. So just like, you know, when you see like a scary movie, like, bro, why, why is your heart pumping? Like, it's a, it's a screen. Your brain cannot tell the difference between a real and imagined event. Everything happens twice, first in our mind, then in real life. Fear and faith have a lot in common. Which one do you choose to focus on? In life, everything happens twice, first in our mind, then in real life. You probably heard Colin say that. So in order to make the most of this fact, the meditation sessions that Tyler Graham led were structured with this in mind. In fact, calling it meditation doesn't really do it justice. What Tyler Graham was really teaching was guided visualization. We would start to visualize things, visualize their stance, visualize different counts they're in, different pitches they're going to throw, and then visualize uh, the thoughts that they were going to have. It was a meditation, but it was also a visualization too. Visualization, you know, you, you see yourself in a situation, visualize yourself succeeding, and then you just play that over and over in your head. So we're creating neural pathways, but we're rehearsing what we want to have happen prior to that moment. Basically, more so like on the field visualization, picturing yourself in the batter's box, hitting certain pitches, really seeing the ball fly off your bat. I would always picture myself hitting the ball in the gaps, for example. 
For players like Zach Taylor, the visualization practice created familiarity. When Oregon State traveled to Omaha for the College World Series, it would be the first games they played in TD Ameritrade Park all season, but in another sense, it felt like a home game. We prepared mentally so well for Omaha, I think. Just knowing, like, I pictured myself in that stadium, in that box. I mean, thousands of times I've had so many at-bats in that stadium. And I think that's what really helped me why I stayed, you know, so calm and was able to put together a pretty good, like, postseason run for myself. I think Zach Taylor is another really great story on, on how the mental game affected him. I know that he dealt with stress and high anxiety and, you know, wasn't as talented as the rest of those kids on that team, but found a way to not only play, but to be in the starting lineup and be a huge impact in those big games. At the end of the season, Zach Taylor had a critical at-bat in Omaha against Arkansas. With the entire season on the line, Oregon State down by a run in the ninth inning, Zach stepped to the plate with the mental clarity of a guy just taking pregame batting practice. That at-bat in game two, that was probably my biggest at-bat of my career so far, professional or college, and I, that was probably the calmest I was in that moment. And like, you know, I really, again, I take a lot of pride saying that and just because I knew from a mental aspect, you know, you don't know until you get in that moment whether you prepared or not. And I knew a thousand percent I prepared myself best I could. Zach's teammate Jack Anderson saw visualization also play a role in the 2018 College World Series. Two major things happened with Jack in a game versus North Carolina. One, he had to play a new position, switching from left field to center field. And two, he had a huge at-bat with the game tied in the eighth inning, the bases loaded, two outs, and a full count. One of these situations made Jack nervous. The other did not. Now, I don't mean to underestimate the difficulty of moving from left field to center field, because that's not super easy, but still, on paper, the more stressful situation would be the bases loaded one where he's up to bat, right? At least that's what I thought. Visualization is what changed things for Jack. Just the unknown of center field that got me a little riled up and felt kind of the pressure just because it was literally my first time out there in like five years. But kind of that eighth inning, two outs, bases loaded. That moment I was kind of more comfortable for and moments I visualized and was hoping I had the opportunity to have was playing center field more nerve-wracking because you had not visualized doing that and so it was more of a surprise? Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. The unknown kind of got to me a little bit. For Jack, it didn't matter how high the stakes were as long as he had visualized beforehand. And that's what visualization offers. Preparedness, equanimity, and foresight. Now let's move on to method number four. Most people like talk themselves out of doing something great or they do a checklist on why they're not worthy or why they're going to fail. Actually, we're going to clean it up. We're going to talk ourselves into this and say why I am worthy. And I'm going to focus on maybe one or two things when I'm in that moment. While the meditation and visualization techniques were used before practices and games, method number four is something players use during the game. One of my favorite things to talk about, and that is self-talk. Having a game plan on how you're going to speak to yourself. Having what we call affirmations, you can call them I am statements, you can call them anchor statements, you can call it your internal advertising campaign. I'll tell you what separates the great performers from average or below, like they have elite self-talk, they just do. 
As a mental conditioning coach, Colin Henderson preaches about self-talk everywhere he goes, including when he contributes to Limitless Minds, the company started by Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson. If you've heard Russell Wilson mic'd up, which you can go on Google and listen to him, this is what he says. I am here. I'm built for this. I am here. Why not me? Believe I am here. I'm built for this. He's talking himself into it, not out. So it's just training confidence. And there's research from the BBC lab in the UK, Dr. Andrew Lane, the number one source of confidence is self-talk. Here's where the mental game is so beautifully simple. You start with a concept backed by science, such as self-talk influences performance. That's the concept. Then people like Alan Jager, Tyler Graham, Greg Warburton, the people who are invested in the mental game, they ask the question, if that's true, how can we capitalize on it? And then that's where the development of the methods come into play, addressing and taking advantage of those concepts. For self-talk in particular, the method was to create a repeatable phrase that each player could say to themselves during the game. Players who worked with Alan Jager or Tyler Graham or Greg Warburton had a little catchphrase for themselves, including Zach Taylor. The idea is to really solely focus in on this is the plan that I have. I'm saying it to myself, so I'm literally speaking it into existence, and then I'm solely committing to that plan, and there's nothing else to it. Chamberlain's was breath, dominate down. Kretler's on defense was breath, relax and react. Larnix was med ball left center. Some guys are slow and early. Some guys are see it, stay middle. It's basically you ask the kid when you had the best game in your life, what were a couple things that you were thinking or what were you feeling? And, and then the kid comes up with a couple words that if they think this, then they're going to give themselves the best chance to have the best game of their life. Your mind can kind of get fogged, I guess you could say, with all these different thoughts coming in, accumulating. And it's like, how are you supposed to focus on hitting? For me, it was to be able to sit down with Alan and really break it down and be like, okay, this is my process. This is what I'm going to commit to. And that's all I need to worry about. Because everything else, like he likes to say, everything else is drama. And then when we get to the game, when we get those negative thoughts of whether I can't strike out or I can't walk a guy, I got to get a hit, I have to get the job done. When we get any of those thoughts, we now have an in-game tool to slowly and calmly redirect from those negative thoughts or thoughts that we can't control to something that we want to think about. So if I can go in with a fresh, clear mindset and a plan, it kind of takes the guesswork out of things and it lets you really just be the player that you are and have fun with the game and almost let it come to you. My self-talk, I always say, would be win this pitch. Three words, something simple, help me turn that next gear in my head, whether I was hitting or in the field, just kind of to focus and give my best every pitch. Jack Anderson's reminder to himself to win this pitch may sound generic, but the benefit was in the simplicity of the statement. I think for me, it was trying not to overthink too much and kind of help me transition from my first year where everything was coming at me and I was thinking way too much to, hey, just take it one pitch at a time. While Jack Anderson used this technique especially early in his career, his teammate Zach Taylor saw its fruitfulness his junior year in 2018. Zach worked with Alan Jager to develop what he calls his power phrase. Which was always breathe, so I take a deep inhale through my nose, deep exhale through my nose, see the ball in the zone, and then hit the ball hard. That was it. Super simple, but for me, like being able to narrow it down was unbelievable because then that was the only thing that I would worry about in the box. 
Earlier, Tyler Graham mentioned Michael Gretler's defensive phrase in particular. Now, Michael was a reliable defender. Towards the latter half of the 2018 season, he built a streak of 45 games in a row without an error. But as the Beavers continued through the postseason and moved away from the friendly artificial turf at Goss Stadium, Gretler committed errors in two consecutive games, then a third error a couple games later. With his defensive performance surprisingly off-kilter, Gretler thought of Alan Jaeger. So I was struggling in, in the World Series from a defensive standpoint the first couple games, and I actually called Alan. He said, what you've done on the offensive side, you kind of need to figure out on the defensive side. And it came back to, if a thought comes in, kind of having almost like a script you can go to to kind of let those thoughts clear out of your head. And if you can focus on just three things, you're better off. And if you get a thought, you can go to those three things and it'll put you kind of back in that neutral position. Gretler is referring to his three-word phrase, which he repeated to himself while playing defense. For the final four games of the postseason, Gretler didn't commit another error. Even in the midst of the College World Series, just being able to call Allen and say, hey, this is what's going on. These are the thoughts I'm having. And, you know, within a five, ten minute conversation, he, he gives you tools to, to have instant success, which I don't think I made an error after those first games, which get a lot of credit to Allen. Another guy who utilized self-talk, Kyle Noback. There's a few anchor statements that I had. You know, I think one of the biggest ones was, I'm a beast. And everybody on the team would say that to me, and I would say it to myself. Kyle not only used this phrase during at-bats, he also used self-talk in a more long-term sense when recovering from injury. Kyle was not healthy down the stretch of the 2018 season, estimating he was maybe at 75% health with a knee surgery holding him out in the prior year and another knee surgery in 2018. You know, for me, in my own mind, I have prepared as if I was healthy, as if I was ready to play and see myself in this state of play. And that's why I was able to do it is because I prepared in my mind. Think about Kyle, like with his surgery, he had no business playing as soon as he did. But that's where he would do his rehab physically, but he would do his rehab mentally. And he would will himself with, I'm going to be healthy. There's a lot of studies on you can think yourself into sickness, you can think yourself into healing faster. It didn't feel good, and you know, I just knew I was at a point in my life where I could push it. And I knew that I'm on the cuff of playing professional baseball and not playing professional baseball. If I was healthy, I probably would have played professional baseball without question. I met with almost every organization. But to me, I think winning the national championship was more important than anything else. That's why I went to Oregon State when I was 12 years old, sitting in the living room, watching the game with my father. I was like, Dad, I'm gonna do this. Novak's childhood dream of winning a championship with OSU was threatened by injury, but he didn't back down, he doubled down and talked himself into that goal. Thoughts become things, that was one of our mottos at Oregon State. You know, when I was 12, I thought about that, and then I, I worked and I continued to get there. So, you know, I was at a point in my life where there was no doubt, Josh, I was playing, you know, and when I sat in that doctor's office and had that second surgery, Doc was like, hey, this surgery could put you out four to eight weeks. It was Dr. Pennington. I told him literally to his face, I was like, no disrespect, I'm gonna play in two weeks. And I did, and I, and I did what I said I was going to stay, and it comes back to the self-talk thing. It's how we talk to ourselves, when you tell yourself you're going to do something, do it. That surgery was in the middle of the 2018 season, in early March. Novak was given a four to eight week timetable. He ended up playing two weeks later. And in his first game back, Novak, who's from the suburbs of Seattle, faced the University of Washington. And in his return game, Novak went three for three, three extra base hits, a career high four RBIs, two doubles, and a home run. And that is how the self-talk works, is you have to trust yourself and what you're saying to yourself, then you can do it. 
Since we opened this episode with the voice of Tyler Malone and the difficult emotional roller coaster he lived out in 2017, let's close with what became of Tyler. The first time I met Greg was, I believe, during my freshman year. Greg Warburton had spoken to the team before, and in the spring of 2017, Tyler Malone decided to take action. During that time, I was just, you know, going through kind of like a lot of self-doubt, and I just thought that, you know, I should probably reach out to him and hear what he has to say, and I just scheduled uh, an appointment with him. That one appointment led to three years of regular meetings between Tyler Malone and Greg Warburton, and Tyler started to address all the doubts he had developed. In those false realities that I was putting in my head, I realized that none of that was actually true. The biggest struggle was the fact that I was believing that it was true. Again, this comes back to belief and self-talk. When Tyler Malone thought he wasn't good enough or that he didn't belong, what did his negative self-talk do? It only reinforced the negativity that much more. So what changed? I truly just believe that it was because I just started owning who I am and understanding that that's okay. And, you know, everything doesn't have to be controlled perfectly all the time. Once I started doing that, it's like everything just started kind of falling into place again. Once I began to understand who I am as a person and, you know, who God created me to be and just my belief in love playing baseball, it took me away from that place that I was in. With the methods Tyler had learned from Greg Warburton and Tyler Graham and Alan Jager, he could fight off the familiar self-doubts because he had the resources to do so. When I feel myself going down that route again or certain thoughts crossing my mind, now I just feel like I'm equipped enough and I have a good understanding. I'm able to not let that settle as much as it used to. This has been Episode 5 of Dynasty in the Woods. Coming up on Episode 6, we look further at not only the concepts in mental skills training, but even more stories of Beaver baseball players who had complete mental transformations, especially a certain pitcher on the 2018 team. That comes out next week, but learn how to listen to that episode right now by clicking the link in the show description. Please help spread the word about this documentary series by leaving a review and texting a friend about it. A big thank you to Greg Warburton, Alan Jager, Tyler Graham, and Colin Henderson for talking with me specifically for this episode. Radio broadcast used with permission from Learfield IMG College. Until next time, I've been your host, Josh Warden. Talk with you next week.